You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. For the next three weeks, we're going to spend some time uh, uh, in a series called Everyday Questions. And it's kind of uh, phenomenal or miraculous when you think about what we're going to attempt to do. And this is a bit of a disclaimer. Over the next three weeks, we're going to we're going to try to tackle six of the largest life questions. And um, so do the math. If in three weeks, that means we'll do two questions a week and then we have about 30 minutes for uh, the teaching time. Uh, Let's just kind of boil it down. That means in about 12 minutes every week, I'm going to give you all the answers to the largest questions in the world. (laughs) I say that to say we know that that's not possible. So more so is. uh, we're going we're to look at and we're going to try to gain some perspective. We may not gain all the answers, but we can gain some perspective into how God sees things and that we can begin to uh, or continue or uh, have an, a realignment in how we think having the mind of Christ. So, um, again, I promise I'm not going to I'm not going to answer. All, I'm not have the answer to all these questions, but I'm sure going to attempt. So with that, uh, if we're talking about questions, uh, I'll start with a question. Can you imagine what a world without questions would be like? And, and, and I actually want to throw that out to you. Maybe if two or three of you could tell me, what's your first thought of that? What would a world without questions be like? Could you imagine even going one day without questions? What, 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 it might, what might it be like? Dictatorship. Huh? A dictatorship. A dictatorship. Okay, I didn't think about that. Uh, what else? Boring. Boring. Somebody said that earlier. What else? Come on. Lost. Lost. Yeah. Solitary. Solitary. You know, in my mind, when I began to think about this, I asked myself the question, what, what would a world without questions be like? Uh, it would be a world lacking curiosity. Curiosity is kind of fun, isn't it? So it would be a world lacking curiosity. Um, it would be a stress-free world, because if there's no questions, it would equate to there must not be any problems. So stress is gone. It would mean that we would live in a world with complete knowledge. But it's interesting, while you think of all that, at the same time, and Richard, you said it, Cam, you said it in first service, uh, a world without questions would be boring. Here's what I thought. A world without questions would be uh, boring, um, exciting, and unfulfilling all at the same time. Um, we're just accustomed to questions. It's, it's the world we live in. Uh, whatever our imaginations, wherever our imaginations may take us, uh, we can't get away from the fact that life is filled with questions. In fact, we started forming questions shortly after we could form words, not long after we were born. And uh, our first questions perhaps began with what? Well, I, save the why. We'll get there. What? What's that? What are you doing? Just think about your kids when they were little. What? Uh, maybe, and then we, we progress on uh, with a little time. We add, where? Where's mommy? Where's daddy? Where are we going? Get this one. Where do babies come from? <laughs> Plead the fifth on that one, right? Especially when it's your five-year-old that's asking. Uh, as we grow a little older, we uh, add, How? How long? How much? How does that work? And then as we become impatient teenagers, we add when, right? When can I go? When can I drive? 
Are we? <laughs> when will we get there? Yeah. Uh, when can I move out? Think about our youngest son, Zach. He's 27 now, but when he was about 16, 17, he, um, he was asking the questions, when can I move out? Actually, it was more of a statement. I'll be so glad when I can move out. <laughs> but we'll turn it into a question. Um, and, and he was convinced. He actually told us one day, he goes, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to make sure that I live with you for the rest of my life. I said, oh, no. Trust me. We've got plans. We've got big plans. We look forward to the day that you're out. And then I followed that up. However, we have a responsibility to prepare you for that time so that you can go. And we were told your kids always come back home. They do. Sometimes two or three times. It's fun, though. Um, As we continue on to adulthood, the questions never go away. They continue. Uh, But because of the complexity of life, I think that the complexity of the questions really increase. And there's one consistent question that seems to rise to the top of the surface, uh, surface as adults, and it's why? Why? Yeah. And in the midst of that, when we're asking why, as adults, because of the complexity of life, there are two questions that often arise, and here they are. Why God? Why God? Why? And the second one is, why God? Why aren't you listening to me? Why don't you hear me, God? Why God? Why don't you hear me when I talk to you? So as I said this morning, with just a little bit of time, we're going to try to tackle those two really big questions. Again, it could take weeks and weeks to just answer or to attempt to answer any one of these. Uh, but let me, uh, let me dive in and ask you this question. You can tell I love to ask questions, so a world without questions would be kind of dull for me. Um, have you ever had anybody ask you this question? Why would a God, a good God, who, a God who is all good, who is all knowing, who is all powerful, let bad things happen to good people? Have you ever had anybody ask you that question? Yes. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Have you ever asked God that question? Why God? Why? Why, would, why God if you're so good? If you're so all powerful, you're so all knowing, you can do anything. Why God? Why do you let bad things happen to good people? Let me tell you a little bit about our story. Um, Cammie and I were married in uh, April, April 21st, 1984. And later that year, uh, around November, we were at Thanksgiving meal with, uh, I think, I don't know, with our family. And um, Cammie said, oh, I feel so sick. And I, I, I said, do you think maybe you're pregnant? And she goes, no. Sure enough, several days later after a pregnancy test or two, uh, had to learn how to do it. Um, she said, I'm pregnant. And we were so excited. We were expanding our family. We were ready for the journey. Um, now I'm going to fast forward you to late April of 1985. Six. No, five. You'll notice that uh, I always have an extra helper in service, which I'm, I'm glad of. I'm very glad of. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. 1985. Uh, I thought the story through before I came. Uh, in, in 1985, uh, we were, speaking of children always coming home to the parents, we were actually uh, living with Cammie's mom and dad for a while. We had gone back home. We were in transition. 
And um, she woke up one morning and she said, you know, I'm a little concerned. I haven't felt the baby move in a couple of days. And I just came up with something like, oh, he's okay. He's just crawled up under your ribs and he's resting. Don't worry. And she goes, hmm, no, I need to call a doctor. She goes, it's just something's not quite right. And so we made an appointment. Doctor saw us early that morning where we got right in. And they did an ultrasound, and then a few minutes later, uh, someone, I, I don't know if, it, I can't remember, it was a doctor or the nurse, came in and gave us that news that um, our now about six-month-old child had uh, died in the womb. It was very devastating. Um, at that moment, uh, I placed my hand on Cammie's uh, uh, womb, and we prayed. We said, God, you're the all-powerful, all-knowing God. You can do anything. You're the God who uh, brings back to life. And so we just speak life to this child. And we believed that God was able. Um, however, nothing happened that we could tell in that moment. The doctor came back and he said, well, here's the process. He said, um, you can go home and just wait until your body goes into labor. He goes, I don't know when that will be. He said, or we can uh, have you go ahead and go over to the hospital and we can induce labor. And so about a day and a half later, after uh, a very... Uh, dark time of very hard labor because her body wasn't really ready. Our first son was born. Uh, He weighed just a little over a pound, perfectly formed. And um, we named him Charles Bascom Wilson. We named him after each of our dads. And um, that started a journey. The first part of the journey was uh, I, uh, for the next year, was one of the angriest men that you would ever meet. If, if you encountered me for the first time, I would find a reason to be mad at you. I was mad at my wife. I was mad at my pastor. My pastor was Glenn Burris at the time. Um, I was mad at the world. And I guess most importantly, I was mad at God. I was just really mad. And here's what I said. Why, God? I love you. I've, I've been serving you basically all my life. I accepted Christ when I was six years old. Um, I do good. I've given my life to you in full-time ministry. Why, God? Why, God, if you're all-powerful, if you're all-loving, if you're all-knowing, if you could do anything, then why is my uh, son not with us? And um, it was a very frustrating time. Nobody nobody really wanted to be around me. I said things I shouldn't say. I did things I shouldn't do. Um, But again, it was a journey, and it took about a year to get through that journey. And thankfully, God healed and restored and redeemed. And so I want to share some personal things from our story that we learned, just three personal things that we learned in that journey about why would a good God, all-knowing, all-powerful God, let bad things happen to good people. I may not have the answer you want, but I I can share with you a perspective that I believe is right and that might help you. And so... At the age of 25, I started this journey in search of answers, and um, uh, there was some very unexpected growth that happened over that year. And in the process of the journey, I learned this first. Uh, I need to tell you something. Everything that I'm doing, the concepts are in your notes, but I don't necessarily, you might not follow me line by line in the notes. It's all there. Uh, trust me. I'll give you some extra notes that you can take. Uh, In my journey, I learned that we often live with unrealistic expectations of life. We often live with unrealistic expectations of life. Sometimes 
uh, especially as, as believers, we fall prey to a misconception. And that misconception is, is that once I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, the rest of life is smooth sailing, not a problem to be found. And I would say to anyone this morning who has adopted that belief, let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? It's not so good, is it? Because it's not the truth. It's not the reality. We just looked at a passage of Scripture during our ministry time. First, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. What did Jesus say? You will have trouble in this life. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world. So Jesus did the very opposite. He didn't promise us a problem-free life, but instead, guess what? You're going to have trouble in this life. He never promised us a problem-free existence, but he did promise his presence when we go through those times. Right? He promised his presence, and we can count on that. So that's one of the lessons we learned. In our journey, we learned that we live with an unfortunate reality. We live with an unfortunate reality. It's when Cammie and I were able to come to grips with this unfortunate reality that we began to find peace. And we actually found answers to other questions that would arise in life. You see, in our case, everyone, it seemed, had an answer to our situation. People had answers to questions that we weren't even asking of them. Everybody kind of felt this burden to let us know what was going on. And I have to say, in most cases, it really didn't help. Uh, You'd be surprised at some of the things that people told us about why uh, our child was stillborn. Two of the ones that rose to the top. Oftentimes, we would have people say, I just want to tell you, you lost your baby because the devil took your baby. You got it. <laughs> is there anything about that that brings comfort to think that this woman who is filled with the spirit of the living God, suddenly her body would be invaded by some demonic force and would steal the life? We know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but we know that greater is he that, uh, that is in, within us than he that is in the world. So that did not bring any comfort. I didn't find any truth. Cammie didn't find any truth. It actually brought great despair and greater pain. But for some reason, they would kind of announce that with joy. The devil took your baby. But on the flip side, there were very well-meaning people. And I say well-meaning because they really felt like they were helping. And the flip side was people would come and say, I just want to tell you, God took your baby. I don't find any comfort in that either. Neither of us did. They would say, the reason God took your baby is we live in such a bad world. Is so filled with sin, and, and, and he was saving your baby from all of the stuff that this world. And I thought, well, then why does why are any babies born? If he loves me that much, he says he loves the whole world. He would do the same. Thankfully, he doesn't, right? So that didn't bring any comfort in any way whatsoever. And then one day, we heard something, and it was like, okay, I can rest in that. Um, we heard some wisdom from a very godly man. It was my father-in-law, C.B. Newton. Some of you may know him or know of him. Um, he was one of the most uh, straightforward and godly men that I knew. He was filled with wisdom. Had a great uh, impact in the early days of uh, Grace Covenant Church. Uh, was a, he and Cammie's mom, Shirley, were vital parts of the church. Uh, and he said to us one day, he, said, he called Cammie Cambo. I'm a crier, sorry. 
He said, Cambo, here's what I want to tell you. I know you heard a lot of stuff, he said, but I just want to tell you, the devil didn't take your baby, and God didn't take your baby. Unfortunately, you don't have your child today because we live in a fallen world. We're dealing with this issue of sin. And actually, that made sense. See, what it said for us is, is, see, I was blaming God. It wasn't God's fault. I I would have blamed you, quite honestly, if you had to come in my presence. Um, uh, But... The, who you know who we really need to blame? Adam and Eve. They made the choice to be disobedient. And at that very moment, sin entered into the world. And the result, the consequences of sin, which was death and decay. And so because of that, we live with this unfortunate reality of the, the, the presence of sin in our world. And you might say, how does that bring comfort? I would, you know, it's so strange because I, would, I almost said, I'd rather have that child today. But gosh, if I had that child, I might not have Adam and, and Zach. It, it's just a dilemma when you think about it. God, God knows what he's doing, but that, that brought peace. And so we have to be able to live with that unfortunate reality because it's then and only then that we find peace. And the, the third thing I learned in our journey, we learned in our journey, is we face unexpected opportunities. We face very unexpected opportunities. Uh, and the opportunity in these times of adversity is, is uh, the opportunity for spiritual growth. You see, I don't... Well, I do know about you. You're like me. We don't grow as much when things are going good, right? Yeah. When everything's going good, we're just like, oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. When are we going to go on vacation? But when adversity comes, for me, I'm on my knees. Oh, God, I need you more than I've ever... I, Sometimes there's not words. It's like I cry, I groan, I call out to God in desperation because I know I need something that only he can provide. And God begins to work this process. I don't like the fact that it's a process. I like things to happen right now. But God begins to do this transformation in us as we submit ourselves to him to say, God, I don't really understand all that's going on, but I know that you are the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, and you have a plan that supersedes anything that I can ever begin to imagine, so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you completely. Change me. Grow me. You see, our greatest growth comes through adversity in life. I love C.S. Lewis's quote. It's found there in your notes. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So embrace the opportunity. Now, so that's one of the questions that we deal with. Now you've got all the answers. You can go home. Um, The second question, and oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it's very closely related to it, is is this. Why does a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful not answer my prayers. In other words, when I prayed for that child to be resurrected in the womb, why didn't God answer that prayer? Because he's all-powerful. He could do anything. Why? It, it, it seems like for me, and I'm sure for you, there are times you know, we, we desperately call out to God, but yet it seems like prayer just doesn't work. 
And so we say, what is going on in these times? It's like, no matter how long, how hard, how much, no matter how articulate, how beautiful I can make my prayer, it just seems like there's a wall or a ceiling that keeps it from reaching up to God, and God is silent in those moments. And it causes us to ask, why God? Why aren't you listening? Why don't you answer my prayers when I pray to you? What is going on? So let's look at some of the things that may contribute to those times of perceived silence. See, I think God's always speaking. Even even in the silence, God is speaking. We just have to learn how to tune in and hear. So uh, why why would an all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing God not answer my prayers? Well, at times, uh, our prayers are not answered because they're not aligned to God's will. Have you ever um, prayed for something and God didn't answer that prayer? And whether it be a month later, a year later, or ten years later, you go, oh, God, thank you. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking by even praying for that. Thank you for not doing that. (laughs) Trust me. uh, You know, uh, Jesus in the garden, find it in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus exemplifies this a battle really well that goes on within all of us. Uh, it was the night before he was to be uh, crucified. And uh, he's in the garden praying and he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But then what did he say? However, not my will, but your will be done. So there's that struggle, there was that battle, my will versus God's will. And we all struggle with that, my will versus God's will. Um, what, what is that all about? Look with me at a passage of Scripture, James chapter 4. Well, I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture in James chapter 4, verse 3. James 4, um, 3 says this. When you ask, you do not receive. It's pretty, pretty plain here, isn't it? When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So often we're out of alignment with God's will because we're praying with selfish motivation. Not your will, God, but my will. God, here's what I want. Now bless it. I'll, I'll dictate to you, and I want you to bless what I want. And that gets us in so much trouble. Selfish motivation is equivalent to selective hearing. God, I don't, 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 God, don't, no, don't, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Don't say it. I think sometimes it's fear. It's fear. It's fear that, God, your plan might not be as grand as I think mine is, so I don't want to hear it. You know, so I, and it's not, and God's not. It's not that He's silent. It's just you. You go, no, 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 You don't want. You don't want to hear it. I, I think sometimes the problem is we just don't like to wait. Amen. It's a process, right? I hate waiting. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I'm the kind of person. If I plant grass seed on Tuesday morning, guess what I'm going to do on Wednesday morning? I'm going to go look and see if it sprouted up yet. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to look again on Thursday morning, Friday morning. And if by Saturday morning it hasn't sprouted up, I'm going to kill any chances by just dousing it with a hardcore fertilizer. <laughs> Killing all chances. But how, how often do we do that with life? In our, how often? Because we're impatient and waiting on God, we do something to uh, 
counteract what God wants to do. Think about Abram. God promised him a child. But God had this long process before that child would come. So what did he do? He teams up with Hagar. Teams up is a nice word, right? He teams up with Hagar. <laughs> Took you a minute to get that one. <laughs> he even had the permission of his wife who later resented it. And, and, and it, it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't his true plan. So we, we just have to, we, we have to trust that he, he's a God of perfect timing. He's working it out. At times our prayers are not answered because God himself is greater than the things that we're asking for. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, this is Paul speaking. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more uh, gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you hear what was happening? Paul prayed three times. This is Paul the apostle who was talking to God, and God did not answer his prayer. But he was saying... Paul, I am all that you need. So often we pray for the things that we think will bring strength. In Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, it says some will trust in horses and some will trust in chariots. But we will trust in the name of the Lord. We want to trust in horses and chariots, but God's saying, I am enough. And so I wonder today, what are you praying about? And you feel like God is silenced, but what God is really saying is, I'm enough. Rest in me. I got it all worked out. Just let it grow. A third thing, at times our prayers aren't answered due to sin in our lives. Um, sin isn't always the culprit, but it has to be considered. Isaiah 59, uh, verse 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Pretty, pretty black and white, isn't it? There are times... When it seems that God is silent, he's speaking, but sin has blocked our ability to hear. So what do we do? I think it's worthy of consideration. If you're in a situation and you can't hear God, you need to go back to the drawing board. Do a heart examination. God, what's going on in my heart? Is there sin that is identified that I haven't taken care of? What do you do? If there is, you deal with it. You say, God, here's what's wrong. I confess I've sinned. I ask for your forgiveness, and then you receive his forgiveness, and you move on. It's amazing. Once you remove the sin culprit, how suddenly you can hear the voice of God calling out to you. Finally, at times, prayers are not answered because God's will is being directly contested by the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. There is a battle. Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the rulers of the darkness in the heavenly realms. There is a battle that's going on, and sometimes the roar of that battle can be so loud that it causes us not to be able to hear the voice of God. And I think the loudness comes from some of the weaponry that God, uh, that not God, that the enemy uses in the battle. And it's things like hopelessness and despair and heartache and pain. And when we're experiencing those things, what happens is we're so... Um, involved in the, uh, the weaponry that's being used that we're diverted from hearing God's voice. But what did Jesus say? Take heart. I have overcome the world. It's, it's all okay. You, you can have peace. 
So as I said, in a short time, we've just tackled two of the largest questions of life, right? And I'm sure you have no more questions after that wonderful explanation. Yes, you do. And you'll be asking those questions from now until eternity. And that's okay. It's a process. It's not that you ask the questions. I don't think that that's wrong. It's how you respond. It's how you deal with dealing with the questions. Quite honestly, that's the real process. So here's four things I want to leave you with. It's a process. This is how you deal with these uncertain times. Number one, wise up. Wise up. Because of the original sin, we live in a fallen world where stuff just happens. Settle down. Stop demanding explanations. Recognize that your arms are too short to box with God. He's got it all under control. Lean in. Trust in God and only in God. Lean completely on him. What is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Put the full weight of everything you have on him. He doesn't need anything else. And finally, have hope. God has not abandoned you. He sees. He cares. He listens. And he understands. I want to pray for you. Thank you, God. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you that you are the answer to all of our questions. I pray that if any one person in here is struggling today, that you would just bring that peace that passes all understanding. God, we commit ourselves to you. And um, we say, not our will, but your will be done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.